Hey there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast, where our goal is to equip you with the tools you need to ditch the prayer guilt, grow in your relationship with God, and pray like you and nobody else. Stay tuned for our latest episode after this quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Hey there, welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Alana here with Jamie. And we have, um, yeah, a slightly different format today. Basically, we are going to dissect a nonfiction self-help book (laughs) that we have both read. Um, To be totally transparent, Jamie's read it a lot more recently than I have. One of the things that I love about what we get to do here at Praying Christian Women is we get to tie in things that secular psychology is teaching and then basically filter it through the lens of biblical truth and then ask ourselves, how can we apply this to our prayer lives? So by discussing this book, it's not saying that we agree with everything in it, but we're saying this has some smart observations about life and let's talk about how we can apply some of these things to our prayer lives. So especially for people who um, maybe like the idea of personal development, but don't like some of the language that the secular books are wrapped up in, we're going to give you the, um, yeah, I don't know, Cliff's Notes version of it, but through the, the lens of Christian truth. So I'm pretty excited about it. Me too. I found myself as I, I actually listened to the audiobook, you gave me a physical copy of the book. And uh-huh. I thought it was about something completely different than it is about. <laughs> and so I didn't read it because I was like, well, this isn't really applicable. This doesn't apply, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was like texting you all these things like, well, it turns out I have all of these symptoms uh-huh. of self-sabotage and whatever, yeah. upper limit issues and things like yeah. that. So, yeah. So I, tell us about the book because I always get the title mixed up. Okay. So the book is called The Big Leap. And it's by the author is Gay Hendricks. And the idea behind it is the big leap is taking a leap from being kind of bound by this, what he calls a, an upper limit problem, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. that in your mind, you feel like you're only deserving of a certain amount of success or love or good things mm-hmm. in your life. Um, And so the upper limit problem, taking the big leap is recognizing that you are self-limiting your progress or your success in a certain area. He's coming at it Mm -hmm. for mostly like professionals in their professional Mm -hmm. life, but he talks about relationships and love Mm -hmm. and all of these other things as being kind of surrounding it. And I just came away from the book with so many times. He speaks in more general terms about the universe and about uh, meditation, but Mm -hmm. I I took away so many, so many things that could be 
within the framework of truth of the Bible and yeah. what we know about God and the Holy Spirit, like, wow, this mm -hmm, actually is mm -hmm. true. And yeah. we could make it even truer in practice by exactly. applying what we know about yeah. God and the Bible. So, yeah. So I really liked his talk about upper limiting too. And it even reminds me, so basically his de definition of upper limiting would be like, we all have this thermostat of how just happy for lack of a better word that we feel we should be deserve to be or are comfortable being yeah and so if um if 10 terrible things happen to you all at once there definitely is a sense of okay so you know god's gotta um bring something good soon which is biblical right he does bring good out of out of bad circumstances but sometimes we also do it for the opposite if 10 good things happen to you like really good how many of us are very next thing we say is well i wonder you know when this is all gonna end like i even think like let's see if we can come up with biblical characters like the first one that comes to mind is king david right he has all kinds of turmoil in his young adult life. He finally gets the throne. He defeats so many of his enemies. He even overcomes like all of these family drama things he has. Things are going great. He's built his palace. He's living it up. He's not even going out to war anymore because he's got great generals fighting for him. And what's he do? He goes and has an affair and kills one of his friends and I think, yeah, this, we don't know what was going on in his mind, but this could be kind of upper limiting where he's like, okay, so many good things are going that we have this sense of a lot of really good things happen to you. We feel as though in order to just kind of balance it out, something bad has got to happen. If that bad thing doesn't happen, sometimes we create it kind of like the work dog who was bred to only work. And if you don't give him work, he will create work such as chewing up your couch or something like that. I think our brains can do that too. Um, can you think of any other examples, biblical or maybe in your own life, just so that people kind of get a feel for what we talk about when we talk about upper limiting? Yeah. Well, one thing I really resonated with was something that he said in his own life. He was one of his big examples was he had just gotten basically his dream job. He went mm -hmm. from kind of, you know, struggling student to like wealthy professor or, you know, with a great salary. Mm -hmm. And he was excited about the work he was doing. Um, and he had just come off this amazing meeting with one of his colleagues and sat in his office and meet and he kind of like sat back and breathed and was like this feels good and then all of a sudden <laughs> he started these irrational worries about his daughter mm -hmm. that he had just left off at, at a yeah. camp and yeah. like intense like and i mm -hmm. i could really relate to that because i've had that thing happen where there's mm -hmm. this white space and it just these like really worst case scenarios start yeah. popping in out of nowhere and mm -hmm you know, it was based on his love for his daughter and, you know, the mm -hmm. fact that she was in somewhere, you know, but it, it was based off of nothing. There was no reason yeah. for him. So he was so worried. He actually called the camp counselor. Aww. Said, I'm just, I've got this really bad feeling. Is everything okay with my daughter? He almost felt like maybe this is a sign from in his Right. And it universe. could be, I mean, in certain cases, I right. mean, we've all heard stories about a mother's intuition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so she was like, nope, I can actually see her out my window. She's playing Aww, soccer cute. or whatever. She's having fun. Yeah. So 
he she said you know this is definitely you missing her rather than yeah. missing you but <laughs> at that moment he started to dissect like why did those thoughts start coming in yeah and he started to realize that many times when worry like random irrational worry just kind of came in were times that were directly following a time of goodness in yep. his life and mm -hmm. he mm -hmm. also noticed that there was a lot of times in his relationship with his wife there were many times when and and i my husband and i experienced this we were having this tranquil great camping experience and we had mm -hmm. been talking about like just really fun stuff about like mm -hmm. you know some of the camping trips that we've had this summer and you know things about our family and then all of a sudden we had this huge like totally out of nowhere blow up it was just, yeah and i we were both standing around like what did that where did that from? come from <laughs> and he mentioned yeah. that he feels like there are times when things in his relationships have been mm -hmm. going so well yeah and then like immediately following there's just this yeah out of nowhere blow up or disagreement yeah. that you like fabricate a fight yeah. Well, it's a classic trope in romance that when things start going really, really well, there's a certain personality type who then decides, oh, it must be time to break up or have a big fight because right. they have it in their head. I can't, you know, this is why I feel like the language we use about ourselves is so important. If you've got it in your head, I don't have good relationships. I can never be in a long-term relationship. My relationships never last. You're going to find a way to make that happen. You know, I really love the analogy of the work dog, because if our brain doesn't have something to focus on, it fabricates things. Yes. Um, I know sometimes with Scott and me, we do the same thing. Like we might be enjoying a period of like, you know, we've gone a, over a year where everything feels like really, really good. And then what happens is like something comes out of nowhere. We're fighting like regularly, you know, almost daily. And then we go back, we ask, where did that come from? For us, I think sometimes it comes from if we're not connecting, like there's a difference between things being really good and just there's a lack of strife. Right. And so good if point. we're not connecting and regularly talking and going into kind of deep discussions, at least on a somewhat regular basis, I think subconsciously we know, okay, there's one way that is going to force us to engage with each other. And that's to have a big problem that we have to discuss, you know? And so sometimes, um, yeah, recognizing when we, anytime we, like as humans, we're so good at making patterns when mm -hmm. patterns might not have to exist. I think that's why superstitions are so strong. I think a big superstition a lot of us have is you can only go so long with somebody before a big fight comes up. You know, like mm -hmm. my husband recently read this book too. And he's like, yeah, like how many times he'll look at me and I'll say, wow, it's been a long time since we've had a fight. And then jokingly, he says, must be time. <laughs> and then within two weeks, we found something to, you know, to get upset with each other about. And, and again, I think a lot of it, yeah, sometimes I don't want people to read so much into this. I think that's the, the other hindrance, right? Like, it's, I don't you know, can take it to an extreme. Sometimes yeah. there really is something to, there's something dispute. really terribly wrong. You yeah. know, your, your house burns down and you're you're left devastated i don't think the next logical thing to do is say oh i must have an upper limit problem i must right. have been and know. he does in the book he does talk about getting sick and things well sometimes yeah. you get a virus and yeah. you know yeah and it has are, nothing to yeah. do but right um but yeah you know i i 
I love looking at it in the sense because to be totally honest, I feel like many Christians are very uncomfortable with happiness, like to the point yes. where they will always say, no, 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 I'm not happy. I'm blessed. Like, okay, no, God does not promise us hundred percent happiness on this life. Absolutely not. Um, and I, I will stand up on a soapbox and like verbally spar with somebody who says, if you're a good Christian, you will always be happy because that's God's reward for you. But I don't think that that automatically means that we need to feel guilty when things are going well. And how many Christians have that sense of guilt? No, that's not our end goal. That's not the most important thing in life. But when it comes, shouldn't we, um, shouldn't we be thankful for it? You know, like, I think if we're going to use a really uh, exaggerated analogy, like let's take a kid and you, you've bought them this beautiful, like you went all out, you got like the beautiful $2,000 dollhouse and all the dolls and all the furniture. And she says, well, thank you, mom. But I'm worried that if I play with this too much, that I'm going to lose focus on what's really important on life in life, which is how much I love you. Like how, how devastated would you be? You know what I mean? And I feel yeah. like sometimes that's, that's how Christians are taught is the righteous way to act. It's, oh yes, things are going okay right now. Thank God. But I know that my true reward is in heaven. Yes, that is absolutely true. But that doesn't mean we need to be stoic and not thankful for things when they're going well. Yeah. And so I do think that when you think of this upper limit problem, I think that can apply to blessings and what we feel comfortable mm -hmm. asking God for, what we yep. feel comfortable expecting mm -hmm. from him. Yep. Not to say that, you know, again, you can swing too far and be like, well, you just can believe it, receive it. And right. anything you expect is possible is possible. Well, but the Bible is very clear in James, you have not because you ask not. And if mm -hmm. we don't feel that we deserve X, Y, or Z in our lives, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unconsciously or consciously, I think that can be an upper limit problem in our prayer lives of what we're mm -hmm. comfortable expecting of God, or even an upper limit of what we think God can do. I think sometimes when we look yeah. back on patterns in our lives, um, patterns that we may or may not have had an impact on or an influence mm -hmm. on, but things like well, when something good happens, then something bad happens afterwards. It mm -hmm. could make you not want to ask for good things. It can. It might make you want to stay mediocre so you don't draw too much <laughs> negative attention to yourself. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And again, how superstitious is that, right? Like we, yeah. we look at... Um, you know, oh, don't boast. And, and, you know, this is more animistic cultures or, you know, 200 years ago, but like, oh, don't say that. Like, don't say, I'm so glad that I feel well today because then some demon's going to overhear and say, oh, must be time for you to get sick. Like that is ingrained in a lot of cultures. We don't talk about our blessings because then like God's going to punish us for being hoity-toity or a demon's going to overhear and take that as an invitation. Like, I know some cultures you're not supposed to, and this is probably more, you know, I don't know if this is still today, like you're not supposed to call their baby pretty. You're not supposed to compliment their baby because then like a, a evil spirit's going to say, oh, I would be interested in taking the life of a pretty baby. Let me, let me add it, you know? So they would, um, you know, they would push, push blessings away. No, don't call my baby pretty. Don't congratulate me on having a healthy baby because that's going to invite something terrible to happen. 
Mm, you know, yeah. like we can see it in, in sort of the superstitious animism is being a little over the top, but we do it in our own lives, just on a more subconscious level. And sometimes we even wrap it up in church speak. Absolutely. Or this stoic attitude of, you know, uh, almost chasing after adversity mm -hmm. to make yourself feel somehow more holy because yeah. you're suffering holier mm -hmm. in your suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and I think one antidote to that upper limit problem is two things. It seems like meditating on who God is yeah. and realizing that he's not a person. I think we attribute a lot of human qualities to God that we would expect from a friend like, if we haven't talked to him in a while that he's going to be mad at us and right. not want to talk to us or yeah. um, that he's sitting there waiting for us to make a mistake. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that our friends are like this necessarily. No, but, but sometimes human, we definitely like a flawed picture human, God that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Or holding, you know, like I, I've heard people say, well, I haven't done anything for God lately. Why would he want to do anything for me? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. serving God right now. Why would God even want to hear my prayers? Mm -hmm. So I think one way to kind of remove that upper limit of deserve because God's blessings, if we look, if we flip the script and think God's blessings on my life are meant to glorify himself and mm -hmm. basically show his greatness and his love and allow me the ability to show love to others, you know, that, that can remove some of that, I don't know, upper limit guilt when we realize mm -hmm. who God is and how great he is. Um, and, and then I think also on the other side of that, to recognize who we are as daughters of the King and realizing that we have been forgiven. I think, you know, guilt mm -hmm. from past sin or current sin or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, can, can keep us bound from going to God and asking to be pulled out of the pit. And, mm -hmm. and rather than say, you know, there's, there's one thing, yes, sin has consequence, uh, mistakes and poor choices do have consequences. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that God is going to necessarily deliver you from those consequences, but he might, or he might, he might Sometimes take you, he does. Yeah. but he might also take you from that place. And he does always promise, like you said before, he is always at work in everything, yeah. in our sin and mm -hmm. our bad mistakes. He can take that and, and redeem it and repurpose it and mm -hmm. use it to launch us into things that we never imagined. So, yeah. Yeah. So I feel so, like those two areas can kind of help us reframe and, and get rid of some of those upper limits. Belief. For sure. Yeah. A big upper limit that I see a lot of Christians ascribe to is this sense of, so again, we're, we're looking at patterns that maybe don't need to exist, but we've created in our mind. You go through something really, really hard and God is absolutely with you. And therefore, because you felt so close to God in that time, you subconsciously feel as though the only way to stay real close to God is to go through trial after trial. And Sometimes even that mindset, it can like our, our minds and the words we say about ourselves are, are a lot more powerful than a lot of us give it credit for. And I don't think that we need to turn this into something super mystical. I'm not into the name it and claim it or anything like that. But if you truly believe that your choices are to be happy and have God mad at you or to be miserable and, and be really close to God, 
you are subconsciously going to be inventing ways to make yourself more miserable. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, um, yeah, I think that's one pattern I definitely see. And I think we've talked about that a lot on the podcast. I, I feel like if you're in a really like comfortable spot and things are going well and your family's happy and your relationships are strong. Um, my opinion is instead of feeling guilty and saying, oh, I must be coming so complacent or instead of feeling scared, oh, you know, it's been good for so long. God must have something really horrible coming. I would say be thankful and don't, don't pretend like things are going well just because you've pleased God, right? God sends rain on the just and the unjust, but also use that as a, um, a motivation. Like what can I do now that I would not be able to do if I was going in through a huge trial, right? Maybe that means spending more time in intercessory prayer, right? I feel like that is, you know, we talk about to hit, to whom much is given much is demanded, If you're going through a really calm season right now, and let's go ahead and use the, 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 the bad word. If you're happy right now, then use that as a a motivation to worship God, even more fully draw closer to God, spend time in Bible study. Like if you're really, really sick or someone you love has just died, it's not easy to intellectually engage in Bible study, right? Like you might read it for that. Like my soul is crying out for comfort, but there are so many things that we can do in our comfortable, happy seasons to grow in our spiritual lives because yeah, life has ups and downs. We don't need to seek out trials because the trials are naturally going to show up. But when we're not in a trial, there are so many things that we can do, um, especially interceding for others or spending more time in, in service or things like that. We just wanted to take a quick break to share about a sponsor of today's episode, Faithful Counseling. Let's face it, life can be hard. It's so important to show up for yourself and your loved ones through all of the struggles life can bring. One way you can do this is by checking in regularly with a Christian therapist. We know not everyone has the time or the money for in-person therapy, but thanks to Faithful Counseling, Christian therapy can be accessible to anyone. You can speak to your counselor by video, phone, or text. Scheduling is so easy, and financial aid is available. I recently started using Faithful Counseling myself, and I admit I had never been to a therapist, and I was kind of nervous about the process. But I was shocked at how easy it was to get started, how convenient it is to communicate with my counselor, and how easy she is to talk to. We would love for you to find out for yourself how beneficial Christian counseling can be. So our sponsor, Faithful Counseling, is offering you 10% off your first month when you use our special link at faithfulcounseling.com slash praying. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, kind of, you know, he kind of alluded to this in the beginning when he talked about that worrying about his daughter. But one thing that he said, I've shared many times in different places that that I 
do struggle with worry sometimes mm -hmm. that I've had periods of actual, like what I would consider real, like anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to that worry, that day to day, just worry, um, he talks about how worry can be an upper limit issue mm -hmm. because like he said, you know, you can be having these periods of relative ease and peace and then, or happy news or something. And your, mm -hmm. your threshold gets to the, yeah. the, the upper limit and then you start to worry. Um, so he said that worry can not only be an upper limit issue, but it can become an addiction, which mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that's really true because it's, it's, it starts off as just, it could be a bad habit that could turn into an addiction and what he was saying about that worry, um, just the day-to-day -day kind of worry, is that if you recognize it as a potential, not always, but as a potential upper limit issue where like the fear that's good. So his his initial like, ooh, my daughter's away on her own mm -hmm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. Something might be wrong. Like yeah. he said, you can take that thought and kind of go to this and this this actually comes from the book that we're working on and and a chapter mm -hmm. that i wrote on um just basically turning your fears and your worry into prayers and affirmations yeah. and action steps but you can ask yourself does this is is there something that i can do about mm -hmm. this right now and if there is then you can take those steps, right? And then mm -hmm. kind of let go. What he did, he called the counselor and it ended up, everything was fine. And so he was able to mm -hmm. be fine. But um, if there is nothing you can do about it, you can take that and turn it into prayer and then yep. move forward from it. But if you recognize mm -hmm. it in the beginning as a potential upper limit issue, this is something that's really been interesting for me to look into is when I start worrying about something, it is a lot of times when I have white space after mm -hmm. something good has happened. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that I could see that he didn't really follow through with, he did in a, in a secular way. He said, instead of worrying about that thing that kind of popped into your head, just think, okay, switch from that worry back a little bit and say, what good thing in my life has happened recently? Mm -hmm. It might have triggered this and use it as time to be thankful for that. So yeah. one of the things that I have done is when a like irrational worry comes up, for me, sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's like mm -hmm. that lump or bump or feeling yeah. or pain. Mm -hmm. What could that be? And I have learned what I what I did in the past is I would Google the symptom and then I would come up with all these horrible options. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, taking time and going back on what good thing has happened recently yeah it's so powerful because then mm -hmm. you can turn worry not only can you get past the worry, you can go back and change that into gratitude and thanksgiving mm -hmm. to god for good things yeah and it is yeah. so amazing and transformative now again yeah. if you have you know you find a lump in your breast call a doctor, you know, don't yeah. just ignore that for sure. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if, but, but with the like day-to-day -day worries that just pop into your head, Ooh, I hope my kid is not hungry. Cause I didn't pack that much in her lunch today. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe look back and say, why did that just pop into my head and transform that worry into gratitude for a recent 
blessing or good thing. Yeah. Or even thank you that we were able to at least put as much food as we did. Well, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? for like, sure. There are things um, surrounding even yeah. the worry that you could be thankful for. Yeah. No, I think that that's great. And I think too, you know, going back to kind of the work dog who either you're going to give it work or it's going to create work that you probably don't like. I feel like if your brain is kind of wired to worry when things are going well, so either you have a legitimate problem and your brain needs to mull it over or there's no problem, but your brain is still in that mind space. So it's going to invent fake scenarios to worry about. I would say another antidote to that could be like, there are lots of problems worldwide. You don't need to invent a fake thing to worry about, <laughs> which is why like, you know, I really like to think, yeah, when things are going comfortably for you, turn that into a call to intercede for all the people that it's not going comfortably for, because a lot of people have it so bad that they can't intercede for themselves. Yes. And so instead of giving your mind something that probably won't ever happen to just mull over and over and over and over about <laughs> take that same kind of energy because, because you're right. Like, um, I think it might be, might be the matrix. There's this idea that like, even if we were in a simulation, it couldn't be utopia because we're, yes. you know, I mean, they and of course it's the simulation of utopia yes. and people started waking up because they couldn't handle it. Their brains yeah. couldn't handle perfection. Right. Okay. So let's just assume that our brains are a tiny bit wired, at least a little bit like that. I don't know that that's true, but let's just assume that, um, yeah, we're not living in a utopia and we know it. Okay. That we don't have to be fictionally, <laughs> we don't have to stretch our imaginations to, to be there. Um, therefore when things are going well for you, most of us, if we're not conscious of it, we are going to invent things that could go wrong because we know that we're living in a fallen world. And that's where that spiral of worry can come in. Let's instead take it to, okay, things are going okay for me right now. I'm really, really thankful for that. And now I have mental energy to focus and intercede for all these areas where I know things aren't going right in the world. Mm-hmm. I think that can be really powerful and just, yeah, a, a good shift in perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know a lot of what he talks about in this book too, is kind of the self-sabotage. And I, yeah. I had fun reading your text updates as you were <laughs> texting them to me. Do you want to talk a little bit about that side of it? Yeah. I mean, um, I think some of the self-sabotage for me involves worry mm -hmm. or, um, some of it involves just even, even from the work side and ministry side, I feel like there are elements of the podcast and of writing where I, we will, and I've noticed this where we, you know, we get to things where I'm like, wow, things are going really well. I am having success in these areas that had previously been blocks, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. focus, productivity, uh, not feeling all scattered. And I always have it in my head. I have a lot of different things in my head, but this is just, you know, being honest about the limitations that I put on the things that we do is sometimes I'll think, well, what if it, I, I had, and th he named this as one thing when it comes to like success in any area that you feel that success in one area is an either or and we've talked about this before because mm -hmm. you've read this book and you're you're like an amazing coach you said something earlier about i'm not a therapist i'm like well you might as well be <laughs> you're awesome like you're we'll so jump into coach. jamie therapy mode that's totally fine with me i, I like love it. it yeah i feel like i i need to 
like get a running tab or something because it's like <laughs> so helpful. But this idea that there's an either or, and for mm-hmm. me, it's always if if the ministry takes off, that will definitely mean that I will need to be more present when I already don't know if I'm, I feel like I'm barely yeah. holding it together. And right. so my family, the ball of my family is going to drop on the floor. Right. And mm-hmm. that's just, that's the lie, the self yeah. And so there, I see where it happens, where I will sort of self-sabotage in. Yeah, you I, hold back. I mm-hmm. hold back or I, it's like I'll fabricate things that are wrong, that need yeah. attention mm-hmm. or maximize things that aren't really that important that I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this needs to be done or things like that. So, (laughs) yeah. So the self-sabotage comes in the form of, yeah, just, I I would say finding other things. It's sort of a procrastination in a way Mm -hmm. because it's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I can't do this for the podcast because this family thing needs attention. Mm -hmm. And then I have Mm -hmm. this idea that, Oh, if only this, this or this were different, then yeah. I'd be able to focus more right. on the things that we're doing and, and you know, yeah. improving things that I've been wanting to work on for years. Right. Um, so that's kind of, I think that's one of the things. That yeah, the no, I think that makes things. a ton of sense. I can see this applying to a lot of women where we feel like, yeah, we can have success. We can excel in like one, maybe two areas, but definitely not all the areas. So I can be a great mom and a really lousy housekeeper and a mediocre employee, right. or I can be really good at my career, but then my family's going to suffer. And so of course you're not going to want to try to excel if you feel, so let's take this. I feel like this is probably a very common belief. You can either be good at business or good in your job, or you can be a really good mom because culturally we don't yet have a ton of examples of people excelling really well in both. Like even in sitcoms and stuff, it's always the mom struggling to juggle both. Right. And, um, so I lost my train of thought. So if we feel like we can either be a good mom or good at our jobs and we love our families more than anything, then we are going to hold ourselves back. We're now, does that mean that we need to go out and sacrifice our families to make more money? No, not even close. But who's to say that there's not some scenarios where you can be great at both? And how many people, like even hearing me say that, got uneasy in their stomach? Like mm-hmm. you can be really, really amazing at business and you can be a fabulous mother. Yeah. Well, like, that doesn't feel true to most people. Well, this kind of goes into one of his terms that he uses, which is called your zone of genius, which we've talked Mm -hmm. about before, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, not on the podcast necessarily, but this idea that when you're doing the things that you do best all the time and delegating out the rest, Mm -hmm. then you're in your zone of genius and you're more productive and you can have more success in more areas. Now, not everyone can practically afford that when it comes to, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm thinking there's a mom I have in mind that's, uh, she was one of the moms of one of my kids' hockey friends. And she's, I believe that she's, uh, she was, I think she's a general now in the army. I always get mm-hmm. armed forces. I'm not good with ranks. Yeah. She's really high up. Okay. She's incredible. She's Jag and she, um, 
is just an incredible she she works a lot she works full time mm -hmm. she's always had an au pair like mm -hmm. when they've let she didn't have one here because i think her husband wasn't working for a while mm -hmm. um, but anyway but she's she she now it, they have an au pair that lives in their home to mm -hmm. get the kids where they need to be mm -hmm. but just she's an incredible mom she yeah loves baking cakes and so for their birthday mm -hmm. she would like do all these cool cakes and like when our our kid would go over there you know one of our kids would go over there and she would just sit with them and talk with them and i had some That's envy because cool. i was like man yeah. i'm envious of that that she is able to do these things of being a mom so well mm -hmm. and then but she delegates out the things like getting mm -hmm. kids to school getting them back yep. from school like doing mm -hmm. some of that stuff that not to say that everyone can do that but mm -hmm. what i saw in her was she was living in her zone of genius yeah yeah worked when she worked and then she had yeah. this you know the things that she did but even though i may not be able to afford an au pair to take care mm -hmm. of the kids and shuttle them around I can do those same things though. I can operate yeah. in my zone of genius and be present for the things that I feel are most important and that I do the mm -hmm. best and put my time in those things and maybe let some of the other things slide and yeah. you know not be as neurotic about trying to get it all perfect. It's that 90% mm -hmm. versus Yeah. Yeah. Know. But anyway, I don't know. It just it, good it enough can be good enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, and so I just think that when we put that and so to translate it to our prayer lives, I feel like we can have an upper limit or a self-sabotage thing with this, with your prayer life by thinking I couldn't possibly have a wonderful, vibrant prayer life because of X, mm -hmm. Y, or Z. My family yeah. will fall by the wayside yeah. or my job will fall by the wayside mm -hmm. or whatever it mm -hmm. is. I think it's that same idea of. That's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. Prioritizing. Just, yeah. And not having a picture of what it could look like. And I think that, you know, either you need to find somebody like the friend you mentioned, who's able to break the stereotype pattern you have in your head, or you just need to use your imagination. Be right. Like who's just, to say there's not somebody who is by every definition, a prayer warrior, and she's fully present with her family and she's doing great in her work or volunteer stuff or, you know, like in all of these spheres, um, and it is going to look different. Like I can't look yeah. at that person. The envy that I felt was not productive uh -huh. because now right. I'm like, okay, I'm not in that situation, but I'm in my situation. So how can yes. I, what does my situation of living in my zone of genius, mm -hmm. putting most of my energy into the things that I do really well, yeah. or work, family, ministry, whatever mm -hmm. it happens to be, mm -hmm. um, and, and focusing on those things and either delegating the other things um, or letting them slide a little. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, nothing yeah. like you don't need to be a hundred percent perfect at a hundred percent of the things you do. Yeah. You need to focus on what is God truly calling me to right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going back to kind of these uh, self-sabotages or limiting beliefs we have in our prayer lives. Like, I think I can rattle off quite a few. There's the belief that certain types of intercessory activity might be an open invitation to more spiritual attacks, mm. you know, or people, you know, people will even boast. They'll be like, well, you know, you're doing God's work. If opposition comes to you. Right. Yeah. And so it's almost like, oh, do I really want to do that? Exactly. Show me the <laughs> chapter target and on verse. My back. Yeah. Does spiritual oppression happen? Yeah. Does the devil want to stop 
passionate Christians from doing what they're meant to do? Yeah. Does it mean that anytime you set your mind to grow spiritually, that the devil's going to jump on your back and make you miserable? No, that's, that is nowhere. That is, that is just the same as the superstitious mom who doesn't want someone to call her baby pretty, Right. you know? Um, I see that one even, I mean, it's more of a joke, but the whole don't pray for patience because the only way God's going to answer that is by making you miserable. That's not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I went through a period where I had a, a real disciplined habit of memorizing scripture and it would wane and wax. And at times where I was really focused on it, I would feel more like depressed and mentally oh. tired. And I don't know if that was because like this was early in my marriage when I was depressed a lot anyway, <laughs> from um, like hormones of being pregnant a lot and having a lot of miscarriages. I don't know if it was related to that or maybe um, maybe something else. But But what happened was I got it in my head when I really devote myself to memorizing scripture I get really depressed. And so um, either I've got to just bear it or I need to give up. Those were the only options. The option wasn't presented to me in my mind of, you know what, maybe I can study scripture and not get depressed. (laughs) But because I had made that connection in my head, just like the person who makes the connection in my head, like, oh, well, if I pray, let's say that some cult temple is built across the street from your kid's school and you start praying against that there's a lot of people who be like oh well if i pray against a cult then i'm gonna become spiritually oppressed by it maybe i think it's smart to have our eyes open to uh, to certain things but to make it to the point of fact or to where it becomes a limiting belief or to where we just expect it because like what happened to me was i so expected to get depressed when i memorized scripture those two were so closely associated that my brain got to the point where I don't think it could have not been depressed. (laughs) Like it truly did become an either or because I made that association so clearly in my head. Wow. That is, yeah, that could be a big one for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the, um, one of the other things that are addressed in this book that I thought was extremely like really related to prayer is when uh when the author talks about his mantra which is not a christian theme but in Mm -hmm. other schools of prayer you will focus on a mantra or something which saying a phrase saying repeating a phrase phrase. or repeating it but what he said is he's got this mantra for his life and um but he was talking about how when that he meditates every day and that in a lot of Christian modern schools of thought when it comes to prayer that when we get distracted we get we feel guilty Mm -hmm. and because it's like oh I failed at prayer yeah and we talk about this all the time what is Mm -hmm. our quote I've been trying to google it but it's basically yeah don't okay it, I'll paraphrase. Are you talking about the one from that monk that was so sweet from a while, like a long time it, ago? Was it De Salle or was it? I don't remember who Saint it Francis was. Francis of Assisi, but it no. was the monk. Yeah. Just bring yeah, yeah, yourself yeah. gently back. So paraphrase yeah. it. So the paraphrase is, if you set your intentions to pray for an hour and every single minute you get distracted, but then you turn your thoughts back toward God, that's an hour well spent. 
yes. where we're we're so like I, I really feel like this is a product of the Western brain. We're so used to I need an A plus, I need a hundred percent, I need to check this off my list. Like that's where we get wrapped up in so much guilt. We're really like the goal is never to pray without distraction. The goal is to draw closer to God. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. it's exhausting. Like when my husband and I take long drives, he prefers to keep conversation up. Um, I sometimes have no problem with letting 10 or 15 minutes of silence go by because I'm just enjoying the company and enjoying the view and stuff. It's exhausting when I try to be like, okay, I'm not going to let more than 10 seconds go by without one of us saying something that is just exhausting. And it, it doesn't leave me feeling closer to him. It leaves me feeling um, really, really tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like um, when he was talking about doing this, uh, like doing this meditation and how he would just kind of go to prayer, when he would use this mantra to bring his focus back. Mm -hmm. And I just, I felt like we don't need a mantra necessarily, but when we're praying, um, if we bring something, if there's, you know, anything in your life that needs focus, if you feel like mm -hmm. you are struggling with this upper limit problem, if you feel like mm -hmm. you need to acknowledge God's goodness in your life or his desire to bring mm -hmm. about good things or that he is present no matter what, whatever it is, if yeah. you want to choose, I mean, I called it a life verse when I was in college, mm -hmm. you know, I had a right, life verse right. and that life verse I would meditate on it sometimes yeah. and just kind of be like, I need this reminder at the core of my being. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you don't have like a verse or an affirmation or anything else to focus on, God himself can be the focus. And yeah. so I just loved though the permission and seeing that truth that we talk about so much about not letting guilt get the better part of you because mm -hmm. that in itself is kind of an upper limit problem. It's like, okay, I'm sitting down to pray, but I don't feel like I deserve God's attention because mm -hmm. I'm an imperfect person who yeah. mind tends to wander. <laughs> but right. giving right. yourself permission to be in the presence of God and mm -hmm. to, to continually bring yourself back into his presence, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say if yeah. there's any takeaways for listeners, it's start asking yourself and ask God to bring to mind, what are your limiting beliefs about prayer? And yes. yeah, it might be something along the lines of, well, some people pray really, really well. And I'm not one of those people. Some people were born with the gift of prayer and I'm not one of those people. Mm -hmm. um, or yeah, I can be, I can be good at prayer or I can be good at service. And I would encourage everybody like pay attention to when you get into that either or mentality mm -hmm. and ask yourself, is that actually true or is it possible that this is a both and situation, right? Like yes. certain things are black and white. A lot of things aren't. A lot of times like, yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. And that's not something that we're taught to celebrate or to be thankful for. Like, mm -hmm. I hate to sound kind of rude, but like if you're listening to a podcast over Wi-Fi, probably on a smartphone, you have a lot to be thankful for. That's yeah. not to say that there aren't trials going on in your life. And Jamie and I are praying for you about that. Um, but 
we get so stoic sometimes as Christians. Sorry, coffee's getting really worked up because she's passionate about this too. That's why she she's is. whining in the background. <laughs> she is. She's, she, she's emphasizing all yeah, of the things. Like we, God wants us to be thankful. He wants us to be thankful when bad things come and he wants us to be thankful when good things come. And <laughs> she is going crazy. We better wrap up soon. She's, she's hearing everybody outside, but um. Yeah, no, this has been a fun discussion. I would be curious, listeners, if you would let us know how you felt about this. The format was a little different. It was a little more um, informal. Um, yeah, some people, like I said, some people might be like, why are you guys talking about a secular book when we've got the Bible? It's a fair point, but hopefully you got some nuggets of truth from this as well. Again, to me, it doesn't have to be either or. How about we can get both and? We can get inspiration and truth from scripture. Maybe we can even get inspiration and truth from reading other books through the lens of scripture, yeah, you know, so can I end us with this quote? I found the quote. Yes. Oh, perfect. Okay. So this is our quote. It's St. Francis de Sal. It's, it looks like sales, but I'm guessing it's Saul. It's French. Yep. <laughs> okay. And, and this was, I guess, a monk somewhere sometime, maybe in France. If the heart wanders, <laughs> <laughs> if the heart wanders or is distracted, Bring it back to the point quite gently and replace it tenderly in its master's presence. And even if you did nothing during the whole of your hour, but bring your heart back and place it again in our Lord's presence, though it went away every time you brought it back, your hour will be very well employed. Oh, that was so much better than my paraphrase. I'm so Me glad too. you found that. I'm glad I found it. <laughs> well, let's leave that as our blessing and benediction since we don't have a regular one. And yes. we wish you all well, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.